0: Shabbat Shalom Saturday church Are you glad to be here? Are you glad that the skunk smell has dissipated? Thank you, Lord. It is now 11:29. I'm going to tell you right now, this is not a be done by new message. So be aware of that. I don't make apologies for it. It's just it's not a warning. It's just a point of information. If you are here this morning and you are a first-time visitor, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but will you just wave at me so I know? Welcome, glad to have you with us. For those who are joining us online, we're glad you're here. So really, we're glad you're here, whether you're here physically or digitally. I, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but we're glad you're here. And we're just gonna dive right in to our message this morning. After crossing the Red Sea, the children of Israel break into prophetic song, celebrating their deliverance from the wicked kingdom of Pharaoh, a kingdom that God had thrust into tangible darkness. Now they look back across the closed waters of the Red Sea through which they have passed, through which they have been immersed to come forth not just as a family but as a nation before the Lord. As they celebrate the defeat of this kingdom of darkness, they come to the climax of their song that they have begun to sing and focus their hearts on what God has done to rescue them from that kingdom. Exodus 15 verses 16 through 18, they sing terror and dread uh, falls upon them. By the greatness of your arm they are motionless as stone. Until your people pass over whom you have purchased, you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which you have established. Adonai Lok Leolam the Lord shall reign forever and ever. The first song of the kingdom of God. The first song of God's established kingdom promise for those whom he has purchased as his forever inheritance. Those he purchased from the kingdom of darkness. I think that the Apostle Paul must have had this in mind as he recorded a prayer in Colossians. As he writes, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, their faith, we have not ceased to pray. I want you to key in on those words this morning. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of of the Lord. I'm going to repeat that. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and in In increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with power according to his glorious might for attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. For he rescued us from the dominion, from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Do do you hear the echoes of the song of the kingdom? In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And all God's people said, amen. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness, the fullness of God to dwell in him. And through him... "...to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, rescued, redeemed, purchased and established, taken out of the kingdom of darkness to receive and to be the sons of his inheritance of light. And Paul did not cease to pray that you and I would be filled with this knowledge through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Will you pray with me? Oh, Abba. Your revelation is overwhelming. Your goodness to us, to even show us what we are about to see, is beyond words. To have the privilege, Father, to open this revelation and to share these things with these people who have gathered today and those who will be watching online. Father, I pray you will make this a kingdom moment, and that you will rescue us from a kingdom of darkness. Let he who has an ear hear today what the Spirit wants to say to you, the church. I pray these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Well, this morning we have an amazing journey before us as we conclude chapter 4 and uh, also attack and tackle chapter 5. So far we have looked at the glorious throne and the glorious eternal one seated upon it. I'm so thankful for the songs that we sang today. While I gave a little hint of direction uh, to our worship team, the Holy Spirit filled in all the gaps. I sit there as we're worshiping and I see words and phrases and, and terminologies that I know the the Lord wants to bring forth, and I know the signature of God, the hand of God has been upon us, and and so I want to just share with you the things we're going to see and talk about today. Wow, this could be an amazing moment if we will open our eyes and ears. We have seen his glory described using stones of radiance that reflect and refract the light of his glory. We have seen that the throne of God, the murk of a throne chariot of God, is actually a throne complex surrounded by 24 thrones upon which sit 24 elders, like the 24 courses of the priesthood God gave to the sons of Aaron. We have seen the four hayot, the living beings, what I call the mamas of life as they stand at the four corners of the throne, standing for every tribe, language, people, and nation, standing for north, south, east, and west. We have seen, but now we must understand what we have seen. And to do that, we need to see the rest of the story. So if you have your scriptures with you, I'm going to begin reading from Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. And the four living beings... Each of them having six wings are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. In this verse, we get three descriptions of the four living beings. The first description is about their bodies. Each has six wings, and, and this is exact match to what Ezekiel sees in his revelation, Ezekiel saw these four living beings and he described them using the Hebrew word hayot, which means living beings, beings of life. And he describes the awesomeness of these wings. In Ezekiel 124, he says, I also heard the sound of their wings like the sound of abundant waters as they went like the voice of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army camp. Ezekiel's description is one of the ways that we know there is movement upon this immo- unmovable throne of God. It says that the sound of their, wor- their wings was heard when they went. And the Hebrew word that is there for going or, or when they went is literally the root word halak, which means when they walked. When the four living beings began to move, the sound of their wings was heard. It was heard like the sound of rushing water, like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. But when they ceased to move, their wings dropped to their side. I say again, the throne of God is unmovable, but it's always moving in some fashion. The second description convinces me That these are the mamas of life. I I shared with you last week that the word chayot is in the feminine. And uh, you may have thought, well, why is he saying that? Well, it's just because it's in the feminine. Is that the only reason, Brent, you think they're the mamas? No. Now we've got another description. They have eyes around and within and all around. And what mama doesn't have eyes in the back of her head? How do mamas do what mamas do? How do they see what they... How do they know what's going on? I'll tell you why. They're mamas. It's like they've got eyes that... that it's, they don't just see with these. They, they see with their ears. They see with their... These are the mamas who keep watch over life. That is the four living beings. They are the guardians, the watchers of all of the manifestations of life that God has created, north, south, east, and west upon this planet. We get a description of what they do, and I want you to hear these words. Notice, they do not cease to say. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? They do not cease to say. Whatever they're doing, it's almost like Paul was saying he does. There is intercession, there's a purpose for their voice. How did Yeshua teach us to pray? Without ceasing. Come on, church. But prayer is not only a presentation of a request, it is a declaration of truth. And may I just be honest, and I'm preaching to myself as much to you, most of our prayer lives would become much more rich and satisfying if we were doing what the four living beings and the 24 elders were doing. They come before the throne to give, not to get. The getting is inevitable because our God is righteous and he always gives. I don't have to go to him to beg him to do or to be what he has already revealed himself to do or or as he is. He is a giving God. For God so loved the world that he? Because that's who he is. And I don't have to beg God to give me what I need. I have to trust God that he already has what I need. I am the one that needs to approach the throne of grace to give, not just to ask. Now, I understand the the Lord's prayer says, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. But that's not a statement of doubt about my provision. It's a declaration of truth that he will provide. You know how I know that? Because I don't ask him for daily bread for tomorrow. I trust him just for today. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. He's already got that. It's it's not a gimme, gimme, gimme. It's a Lord help me to receive what you have for me this day. That I might walk in your provision. Notice the truth the four living beings Never cease to declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Notice that God is celebrated with three declarations of his holiness, and then notice that the declaration defines the truth of that holiness of the eternal one, who was and who is and who is to come. I think we sang about that today. It's good because you know what? That's what they're singing about in heaven. Time is not going to permit me to go into great detail about the name given to Moses in Exodus chapter 6, but God takes the essence of how he revealed himself, how he answered Moses in Exodus chapter 3, when he said, I am that I am, I am that I am, and then in Exodus chapter 6, Moses comes back, and God gives him his memorial name, his covenant name, his redeeming name, and guess what that yud Vavhe, that name that we pronounced as Yahweh, guess what it means? What is the essence of that name? Who was and is and is to come. He is the glorious eternal one seated upon the throne. Please notice the emphasis that is placed on God's relationship to time. He is the God who sits enthroned above all time and space. He was, he is, and he always will be. Now notice how the next verse also emphasizes emphasizes time. Verse 9, and when, everybody say when. I just did that because, you know, I see preachers do that on TV. (laughs) And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. You know, the Greek word here used for when can be used in a general specific, you know, whenever, kind of like how we use it. But it can also be very specific. What does when really mean? At that time. It has the idea that uh, when something has come, when a specific condition is fulfilled, then something happens. That's the import. That's the import. When something happens, it happens because it's, it's time for it to happen. And so verse 9 says, When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne. So when is when? When do they say what they never cease to say? When is when? When? Well, what they declare gives us some hints. When they give, again, what is the definition of righteousness, church? Giving. When they give, they're doing righteousness in heaven. If if they're doing righteousness in heaven and it's giving, what should we be doing on earth? Giving. Giving. They are there to give, and notice what they give, glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne. Now I want to ask you a question. We've already seen this last week when we saw that the imagery of the four living beings is traditionally believed to be the symbols on the four banners that encamped around the tabernacle in the wilderness when God encircled the tabernacle with the tribes of Israel. So we've already seen that, that God has asked them to establish on earth what has been seen in heaven. So when did God command Israel to bring him glory and honor and thanks? Three times a year. When Israel was called to walk. Walk. When it was time for God's people to move, when it was time for Israel to walk up to Jerusalem, the place of his presence and his dwelling, that mountain they sang about when they crossed the sea. Three times a year, the children of Israel heard the sound of their shofars and trumpets as they walked to stand before the Lord on his holy mountain. These are what we call in Hebrew the reglim. Now, raglim is the Hebrew word for my legs. So this is why we call these three feasts that have this mandatory aspect of walking up to Jerusalem. This is why we call them regalim. Three times a year, the 12 tribes of Israel were asked to rise and move to do what? To take their place before the presence of God, where he had established his holy temple. Passover, Shavuot, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Now notice in heaven what happens when the four living beings give glory and honor and thanks. Verse 9, and when at that time of fulfillment, the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. At the time when the four living beings give glory and honor and thanks, notice the priestly ministry of the 24 elders At that time, the four living beings are giving glory. Then the 24 elders fall down before the throne and declare the truth that God is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. I'm hoping some lights are coming on. My friends, it's time to understand what we're seeing. We've seen the glorious throne and the glorious eternal one sitting upon it. We have seen the great assembly before the throne with the four living beings at the four corners of the throne. We've seen the 24 elders encircling the throne. I mean, it's so familiar. It's, it's like I've seen it before. I just can't put my finger on it. I mean, it's, it's kind of like deja vu. It's just, I just can't put my finger on where I've seen it before. You see it every time the sun rises, every time the sun sets. It is the construct of the very thing we call existence and life. My friends, what John saw and is describing for us is the throne chariot of God, this immovable but always moving throne of God, who is above time before all time. This heavenly spiritual revelation is what we call reality. It is literally the blueprint, not only for the physical universe, but for how you and I live in this universe. If there's up, there's down. If there's east, there's west. There's west. If there's north, there's south. There's four points on the, on the, uh, on the compass. Our world... Cycles, 12 months. I mean, we could just go on and on and on. And I don't mean to get so metaphysical that I blow your mind. But the bottom line is we're being shown why are we asking for God's will in heaven to be done on earth? Because this whole world was designed after his throne, after his being. And what is his throne? His kingdom. And God, when God called his people out of that kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light, he called them not just to come to his throne, but to be his throne upon the earth. To begin to move in sync on earth with what is happening in heaven. And when heaven moves, so do we. Are you with me? Are you understanding? You notice that day and night they never cease to say. 12 and 12, 24. Notice that the 24 elders cast their crowns before the Lord. Our English word crown comes from the Hebrew word karen. I used that name the other day, the way our culture has begun to use it, and I immediately apologized. Karen is a beautiful name. It comes from the Greek word or the Hebrew word from which we get the word crown. What does it really mean? What is a Karen? The easiest way to illustrate it for you is to call to your mind a statue in New York Harbor. Lady Liberty. And upon her head is a crown. And that crown has pointed. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? What are those symbols of? Rays of light. That's what a crown is. That's what a, that's what a Karen is. A Karen is a ray of light. The 24 elders fall down before the Lord just as the 24 hours of the day as this world moves, there comes a moment when the light of every hour is cast upon the throne of God. Psalm 81.3, you think, Brent, you're just, you're just going too far. Psalm one three. blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. The word here for feast day is literally appointed times and the full moon is the word kise which is has the same three letter spelling as the word throne what are we looking at we've seen the great assembly we're looking at what i like to refer to as the grand father's clock his throne is his clock his throne is his Calendar. No wonder Satan hates it. You know, later in Revelation, it will say that Satan hates the throne. Well, that's, I understand why he hates the one on the throne, but why hate the throne? Because he knows what the throne is, and his time is short. Stinks to be him, because when I take my place on God's throne, my time is forevermore. Amen. I became curious about what a couple terms that we often use in relationship to the kingdom. The first was the word reign. The root of this word are the letters, what we would pronounce reg, R-E-G, like in regulator. We get this term because reg is a word that meant king. That's where the word reign comes from. Isn't it interesting that three times a year, Israel was called to walk to the place of his dwelling to stand before the king, and those feasts are called Regalim. We walk to come to stand in the place where our king reigns. And I, and I want you to understand that is what reigning actually is. It's not being somebody else's boss, it's walking. In sync with the king. I also became curious about how Jesus constantly referred to malkut the kingdom of heaven. In fact, when Jesus began to preach the good news, the gospel, it was the gospel of the good news of the kingdom. So I began to wonder about this word, malkut, because I understood how, how it related to kingship. And there was a there was a sound within the word that I, I I I understood the first part of the word, but I didn't understand the second part of the word, and so I, I simply did a word search, and I won't tell you exactly how I did it. It was kind of a phonetic uh, looking for it from a phonetic sound kind of thing, um, and and I was I was amazed where it took me, because lo and behold, it took me to the word Cohen, the Hebrew word for priest. We hear it in the name Melchizedek, Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, but that word Malchut not only has the idea of kingship, but within it, it also has the, uh, the concept of priesthood. And who was Melchizedek? He was a priest king. What have we seen the 24 elders doing? Serving God. Serving us. That's what a priest does. The kingdom of God is creating in us and for us is a priest kingdom where day and night we will never cease to declare the truth of who our God is. Where day and night we stop complaining about what we don't have and declare who he is. Because he's already got everything we need and he knows that we need it before we ask. So why do we celebrate the feast of the Lord? I'm, I'm gonna, I could possibly make some enemies this morning. First of all, I do not keep the feast. I celebrate them. Second of all, I do not keep the feast because I am under the law. I am definitively not under the law. I am under the revelation of grace. So why, as a new covenant, spirit-filled believer, would I want to celebrate the feast? Because I get the same invitation that Israel got to come and join the movement of the heavenlies. Church, I know where most of you have come from. I get it. Been there. But this isn't about law. It's not about regulation. It's about revelation. It's about being invited to take Our place on the throne of God, and when it's time to move in the power of His Spirit. There are a lot of people that keep the feast because of regulation, and I feel sorry for them because they do not understand the joy of the feast. As revelation what it teaches me about what I have been called to I hope you still love me so now we need to transition at noon into chapter 5 as we've seen the grandfather's clock, now we're, we're in a place to understand how important what we have seen really is as we look at the generation of Yeshua, and we're going to do this as quickly as I can. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside Uh, written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to break it or look into it. There is a book in the hand of the eternal one who wrote it. He did. Because it is his word. But what is it? The answer that, to answer that question, we must understand how God's revelation began at the very beginning in Bereshit, in Genesis. The entire construct, the entire architecture of the book of Genesis is framed around one word. It's the Hebrew word toldot, and it's a word that we translate as generations. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. These are the generations of Adam. And then we're told the ten, the lineage of, of Adam all the way down to Noah. Genesis 6, 9. This is the told out, or the generations of Noah. Genesis 10. These are the told out, the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And what follows after each is what? The story of the children. The story of the legacy. And then we get to Genesis 37, and we begin the told out, the generation of Jacob. And it says these are, this is the generation. Of Jacob. Now, Joseph, why does it do that? Because the generation of Jacob is told in the legacy of his children. And Joseph comes as that legacy and he becomes the, suf- the picture of the suffering servant who literally saves the world because he becomes the bread provider. But wait a minute, I thought kingship was with Judah. How come Judah has no told dot? How come there's no verse where it says, and this is the told dot of Judah? Because we haven't gotten there yet. But now we have. You see, John turns in his hand, turns to see that the eternal father has the book that is the legacy of Judah. You'll understand why I say that in just a minute. It is sealed with seven seals, meaning the only one uh, who has the seven spirits of God's holiness can open it and reveal it. The strong one asks, who is worthy? We've sung that word so many times today. We're going to redefine that word this morning. Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? And notice the emphasis on worthy. We're about to get a clear understanding of why Jesus is worthy and what it really means. Verse 3, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth. No one created. No, no angelic being. No human being. No, no, no one in all creation has been found worthy. The saga continues in verse four. Then I began to weep greatly because there was no one found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping, behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has overcome, so has opened the book and its seven seals. One of the 24 elders says, tells John, stop weeping. Now, now, some of you, as, as you come to see what, what the Lord is showing us, you may start weeping today, but let it be tears of joy because there's no crying in heaven. Especially when cry, it is a cry of anguish and sorrow, because cries of anguish and sorrow are a reflection of a lack. And in Him, there is no lack, there is no want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not be in need. There's no reason to cry. Behold the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, finally the toldote of Judah. And it's told in the legacy of Jesus. It's finally come. He is Shiloh. He is the lamb of God. He is the Lion of Judah, and he is worthy. But what does worthy mean? And why does it matter? The Greek word used for worthy is oxios. I know you're not going to remember that. But it has the idea very similar to the Hebrew word for glory, which is kavod. But axios has the... Axios has the idea of something that is central. That is where we get our English word, and it's going to be helpful to us. It's the word from which we get our word axis. Now, church, listen to me. What is an axis? What is an axle? It is something that rotates around that which is central. That which is centered. If I move around this podium, this pulpit, this is my axis. And that is the word for worthy. Yeshua is worthy of your praise because he is central and located, centered to everything God has ever done. I don't know how you're not shouting. He is worthy to open the book in God's hands because all of God's word centers on him. He is the axis upon which everything rotates. He is central. And I want to say this because I know where many of us have come from. And I, and I pray for those who maybe who watching who have drifted into believing it's their righteous and not his. If he is not central to who you are do, what you are doing, you will not stand in his throne. You can walk in your own circles of righteousness all day long. If you aren't centered on him, you're just walking in worthless circles. He is worthy because he is central to everything. It is amazing that I have to get this fired up to to emphasize that. How could we have ever forgotten that? Notice where he takes his stand. And I saw between, better, I saw in the middle of the throne with the four living beings and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. And he came and took the book out of his right hand of him who sat on the throne Jesus or John sees Jesus as the axis of the throne central to everything that the Father has done past, present and future. But notice what makes him worthy. He has the seven horns and seven R's, seven eyes which are like the Holy Spirit. No. We're not doing a simile right here anymore. This is not a comparison. This is a declaration of truth. This lamb who has these seven horns, this this—is is, these are the seven spirits of God. It was the Father's good pleasure that all the fullness of the in Him. He wanted to do it, not me. How can we set Him aside? How can he become less important? How can Moses become more important than Mashiach? Moses will judge us because we wanted to circle around him instead of around the one who is worthy to be the center. Folks, please listen to me. If he's worthy to be the center of the throne of God, this throne chariot that is established, unmovable, but always that the heavenlies are, if he is worthy to take his place there, he is worthy to take his place here. And my life, I'm invited to walk with him, to reign with him. He came and took the book because he is the word of God. He is the right hand of the majesty of him who sits upon the throne. He is the axis. I say it again, the angels did not tell the shepherds that the Messiah had been born in Bethlehem. The angels told the shepherds that a Savior who is Mashiach, who is the Lord has been born in Bethlehem. Amen? When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one of them holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God uh, with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God and they will reign upon the earth. This is a transformational moment in the heavenlies, in the throne room of God. The Bible says that God shares his glory with no man. So do the math, my friends. Explain who Yeshua is if all of heaven is now circling around him. While people try to get clever and try to make him less than who God revealed him to be. The four living beings and the 24 elders fall before him. Notice we see another description of the priest kingdom to which we are called. The 24 elders have golden harps to play the songs of the kingdom and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints, the holy ones, who staked their claim in the kingdom of God by making Jesus the axis of their lives. And with the harp in hand, it's time for a new song. And they sang a new song, singing, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. you You brought life to the four corners of the world to the four divisions of humanity, you purchased life for God and you have made them a kingdom and priests to be our God and they will reign. You know, the sages of Israel teach that there are 10 prophetic songs and that nine of them have been sung. Do you know what they say the last one is? The song of the Messiah. They're right. What they don't know is it's already being sung by those who know him for who he is. You see, with his blood, he purchased us that we might take our place. He has prepared for us a place around his throne to be kingdom priest, and they will reign upon the earth. My friends, God's throne is God's people. God's kingdom are the saints of God who made the one whom he sent the axis of their lives. I say it again. You know, when you think about the kingdom, and oh, they're going to reign upon the earth. Well, I mean, how many bosses can you have? I mean, how many other kingdoms, you know? Reign can't mean we all get our own kingdom. What does it mean? To walk with the king. Do you know what that means? We're almost done, church. Church. It means when you leave this place today, you get to go reign. You don't don't get to go be someone's boss. You get to make Yeshua the center of your life and walk with Him. You know why we don't run from tribulation? Because we've been taught to walk in the power of His presence. These legs... They weren't made for running. They were made for walking. And I think Paul said something about that. If we live by the Spirit, then let us, come on, walk in the Spirit. I close with the final verses. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the 24 elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands. That's the ancient Hebrew word agab. No, I just made that up. Myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing, a sevenfold anthem of praise. And every created thing which is in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them, I heard them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living beings kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. What should we then do? We should make him the center of our lives. And when it's time to move, when it's time to walk, worship team, you can come back. It's time to walk. And that doesn't just mean during the festivals, though it can mean that. I love them because it reminds me I have a place prepared for me. I have a place prepared for me purchased by the blood of the Lamb at Passover. Passover. I'm a part of a kingdom that is made up of people from every tribe, language, and nation that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon at Pentecost. I'm a part of the, under the canopy and the tabernacle of God, of the nations that will gather before him to reign, to walk in his presence. So now filled with the Holy Spirit, given to us by Yeshua, we are called to keep in step with the Spirit. Because please hear this. The toll dote of Jacob was Joseph. The generation of Joseph. The told out of Judah. Is Yeshua, and the toldote of Yeshua is the Church, is the Kingdom, is the people who will stand before His throne because they have made this His throne. We're gonna. I'm gonna invite you to stand. And as you do, I pray that you will open your hearts to celebrate who he is. I know that some of you come today and you you do feel like weeping before the throne. There are needs in your life. I can tell you with all assurance, he already knows, he already has. Trust him Set what you need aside and give glory and honor and thanks. Let him, Well, I've been away from the Lord. Then let this be a season of re-syncing yourself with who he is and who you are. Lord, I've been walking according to the flesh. Okay, repent and walk according to the spirit. Get back in the flow. You aren't made to be a kingdom. You are the kingdom. Prepare to go out into a kingdom of darkness and rescue people as he rescued you.